I discovered last night that as I was listening to this and going over what I did last time that this is one of the places in the Tanakh where the numbering is different than it is in the English Bible. So I was starting chapter 9, which is where I left off. However, in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 9 starts at verse 1. In the Tanakh, chapter 9, verse 1 in the English Bible is chapter 8, 23. In your Bible, it's, Oh, that my head were water and my eyes were fond of tears. Is that 9-1? That's actually 8-23 in the Tanakh, and we did that last time, so I'm not going to do it again. So, on to chapter 9 in the Tanakh. Oh, to be in the desert at an encampment for wayfarers. Oh, to leave my people to get away from them, for they are all adulterers, a band of rogues. They bend their tongues like bows, they are valorous in the land for treachery, not for honesty. They advance from evil to evil, and they do not heed me. This is obviously God speaking, and he's talking about Israel. And you can take this two ways. It can be, I want to be away from them. They're in Israel, and I'd just soon be in the desert as be close to them. The other way you could sort of take it is, things were a lot better when I had them in the wilderness. Not sure which way it's meant. I suspect the former. And what he's talking about here is they bend their tongues like bows. They are valorous in the land for treachery and not for honesty. Remember back six or seven said that they were really, really good at doing bad. So this is a continuation of that same theme. They are turning all of their intelligence and their cleverness and their wit toward evil instead of towards good. So verse 3, where every man of his friend trusts not even a brother, for every brother takes advantage, every friend is base in his dealings, one man cheats the other, they will not speak truth, they have trained their tongues to speak falsely, they wear themselves out working iniquity. You dwell in the midst of deceit, in their deceit they refuse to heed me, declares the Lord. This is all part of that same theme, the contrast between the truth and that which is false. What God is saying here is, of course, his ways are true and the ways that these people are going, and they are going full speed. In other words, they're working real hard at it. And they are working real hard at falsity. It sort of reminds me of where we are today. You know, you've got whole industries that work real hard at falsity. As I say, this could be written about us. It says, one man cheats the other. Beware every man of his friend. Trust not even a brother. For every brother takes advantage, every friend is based in his dealings. So the relationships that you should be able to count upon, family relationships, friendships, are not there. So now down to verse 6. Assuredly thus said the Lord of hosts, Lo, I shall smelt and assay them, for what else can I do because of my poor people? We talked about this earlier where he was going to use Babylon to smelt them like ore and burn the dross out of them. But no matter how hot he got it, the dross wasn't coming out. And so we're back to the same metaphor of, of him heating things up to drive the impurities out. And he's saying, Assuredly, thus says the Lord of hosts, Lo, I shall smelt and assay them, for what else can I do because of my poor people? They're at the point now where there is nothing left except to melt them down and start over. Nothing good in them anymore. Verse 7, their tongue has a sharpened arrow, 
They use their mouths to deceive. One speaks to his fellow in friendship, but lays an ambush for him in his heart. Shall I not punish them for such deeds, says the Lord? Shall I not bring retribution on such a nation as this? Verse 9. For the mountains I take up weeping and wailing, for the pastures in the wilderness a dirge. They are laid waste. No man passes through, and no sound of cattle is heard. Birds of the sky and beasts as well have fled and are gone. Now remember earlier, a couple chapters back, he said that the birds in the air and the animals all followed their laws. In other words, I have set my natural laws in motion so that birds fly, they know how to eat, they know when to lay eggs, they know when to do all this thing, they just automatically do it. And the same thing with the animals. They all operate by instinct and they all follow the laws I've set up. My people don't. And the law that I have set up for my people is my Torah. And they don't follow it, even though the rest of my creation does follow the laws I gave them. So we're sort of circling back on that same metaphor. You remember in Deuteronomy, where it says, I call heaven and earth as witness against you. And the idea there is that the earth is a partner in the covenant. And so what he's saying here is the earth is about to be laid waste and destroyed and he feels pity for the earth which is going to be destroyed because of the corruption of the people. The idea is that the earth is a conscious part of this covenant and because the people have strayed and polluted everything, it's got to be destroyed and the earth is going to suffer because of the people that are on it. Verse 10, I will turn Jerusalem into rubble, into dens for jackals, and I will make the towns of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. What man is so wise that he understands this? To whom is the Lord's mouth spoken so that he can explain it? Why is the land in ruins laid waste like a wilderness with none passing through? Verse 12, the Lord replied, because they forsook the teaching I had set before them, they did not obey me and they did not follow it, but followed their own woeful heart and followed the Balaim as their fathers had taught them. Assuredly, thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I am going to feed that people wormwood and make them drink a bitter draft. I will scatter them among nations which they and their fathers never knew, and I will dispatch the sword after them until I have consumed them. Coming back to verse 11, what man is so wise that he understands this? This harks back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus where God says this is going to be the consequence of this behavior. Those consequences are in the process of playing out. And what he's saying is that his people who should know his Torah and who should recognize what's happening and should then take warning and change their ways, don't. They don't have the understanding anymore. They've lost the ability to discern what's going on. And I would gently draw your attention to the United States. We're in the same situation. The culture is coming apart. I mean, you can see it every night in the nightly news. Yet, there are people who say, oh, gee, if we just had better psychology programs, or oh, gee, if we just had better control over knives, or oh, gee, if we just, then everything would be okay. And what they don't see is that the things that are happening now are a consequence of not following God's law. That's the last place that they'll turn for information. And so they are very clever at devising glib explanations for why things are so bad 
and oh, by the way, why you should trust us to fix them. So I'm now all the way down under verse 16. Thus said the Lord of hosts, listen, summon the dirge singers, let them come. Send for the skilled women, let them come. Let them quickly start a wailing for us, that our eyes may run with tears, our pupils flow with water. For the sound of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are despoiled, how greatly we are shamed. Ah, we must leave our land, abandon our dwellings. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord. Let your ears receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters wailing, and one another lamentation. For death has climbed through our windows, has entered our fortresses, to cut off babes from the street, young men from the squares. Y'all, of course, know that in Israel, they had people who were paid to be mourners. In this case, they are described as being skillful at it. So the idea is that you hire people to mourn at a funeral with the idea of heightening the emotion. I mean, it's like when you go someplace where people are singing, you know, songs have emotions. So the idea here is that you hire professional mourners to help with that process. The thing I find fascinating about this passage is verse 20. For death has climbed through our windows, has entered our fortresses to cut off babes from the street, young men from the squares. And again, what I take that to mean is they aren't expecting death. It's come in like a burglar. So the idea here is that they thought that they were impregnable. They had strong armies, they had strong fortresses, they had lots of money. All of the things that people put their trust in to keep themselves safe. So they were not expecting death to come in. So this idea that in this case the upper class in Jerusalem is feeling safe, they're feeling like they're in control, and all of a sudden death steals in through the window. 21. Thus says the Lord, the carcasses of men shall lie like dung upon the fields, like sheaves behind the reaper, with none to pick them up. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the strong man glory in his strength, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but only in this should one glory, in his earnest devotion to me. For I, the Lord, act with kindness, justice, and equity in the world, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Verse 10, Lo, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall take note of everyone circumcised in the foreskin of Egypt, Judah, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab, and all the desert dwellings who have the hair of their temples clipped. For all these nations are uncircumcised, but all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. The meaning of this one is a bit obscure. I sort of take it to mean that Israel is proud of their status of circumcision. In other words, we are the circumcision. We are the ones in covenant with God and so forth. And what God then says is, I'm going to take a look at all these other nations around you who are uncircumcised, and I am going to favor them over you because you are uncircumcised in heart. I think that's what it's saying. Now, one of the things I said last time, and I liked it so well, I'm going to say it again. All of this where God says, you've turned your back on me, you're not worshiping me, you're not walking in my ways, all that kind of stuff. One of the ways that modern culture takes that is God is a narcissistic jerk who demands that everybody 
bow down to him. The way I said it last time is like a peacock. You know, everybody look at me. If you're not looking at me, then you're not doing what I want you to do because you're not paying enough attention to me. A lot of people, when they read this stuff, that's the idea they get about God. That's completely wrong. God wants you to pay attention to him and wants you to worship him because if you turn your attention to anything else and worship anything else, it's going to lead you into death. Not that God's going to kill you, but these things are false and going after things which are false and putting your trust in things which are false leads to death. So what God says is, pay attention to me because I am the truth. I am true. I'm trustworthy. So you need to pay attention to me because that's the only safe way to live. So this emphasis on look at me, worship me, follow me, is not, as I say, some narcissistic peacock speaking. It's sort of like I can remember when I was in the Army, helping somebody cross a rope bridge over a chasm. And so what I did is I walked backward holding the handset and they said, look at me, look at me. Don't look down, don't look around, look at me. And I started walking backwards and look at me because if you look at me and you follow me, you'll be safe. If you start looking around and all that kind of stuff, your knees will start wobbling and you'll get scared and, and you'll freeze and all sorts of bad things. Look at me. This is not wow, look at me, I'm handsome, look at me, I'm great. It's look at me because looking at me, you're safe. Onward to chapter 10. Hear the word which the Lord has spoken to you, O house of Israel. So, he has been very careful to make distinction between Israel and Judah as we go through this. So now we're back to Israel. So hear the word which the Lord has spoken to you, O house of Israel. Thus said the Lord, do not learn to go the way of the nations. And do not be dismayed by portents in the sky. Let the nations be dismayed by them. For the laws of the nations are delusions. For it is the work of craftsman's hands. He cuts down a tree in the forest with an axe. He adorns it with the silver and the gold. He fastens it with nails and a hammer so that it does not totter. They are like a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. They cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Be not afraid of them, for they can do no harm nor is it in them to do you any good. So we're talking about idolatry, and now where is Israel at this point? They're in exile. So when Jeremiah's writing this, Israel has been gone for a hundred years. And in writing to Israel, what he's saying is, you're going to be out there in idol land, and they're going to have all sorts of signs. They're going to have astrology. They're going to have reading the entrails of animals, they're going to have idols, crystals, all that kind of stuff. Don't be afraid of that stuff because ultimately it cannot do you any harm and on the flip side of that, it nor can it do you any good. And people who worship that stuff do it for one of those two reasons. They either expect some good to come out of it or they're afraid that if they don't, some harm will come from it. And what God is saying is, Neither one. They're non-entities. Verse 6. O Lord, there is none like you. You are great, and your name is great in power. Who would not revere you, O King of the nations? For that is your due. Since among all the wise of the nations, among all their royalty, there is none like you. So again, comparing God to all of the things that the pagan nations put their trust in. Verse 8. 
But they are both dull and foolish. Their doctrine is but delusion. It is a piece of wood, silver beaten flat, that is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz. The work of craftsmen and the goldsmith's hands. Their clothing is blue and purple. All of them are the work of skilled men. But the Lord is truly God. He is a living God, the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes. The nations cannot endure his rage. So comparing that with back in verse 5, don't be afraid of the things that the pagans are afraid of because they can't do you any harm, nor can they do you any good. And then contrasting with God at his wrath, the earthquakes. So he, in fact, can do you some harm if he so chooses, but he also can do you good. Verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, Let the gods who did not make heaven and earth perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He's talking about pagan nations. He's talking about Israel. And so he's saying all of these pagan gods who did not make heaven and earth, because Yehovah is the one who made heaven and earth, all the rest of those gods, let them perish. Verse 12. He made the earth by his might, established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the skies. When he makes his voice heard, there is a rumbling of water in the skies. He makes vapors rise from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings forth wind from his treasuries. Every man is proved dull without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame because of the idol, for his molten image is a deceit. There is no breath in them. Notice the word there. His molten image is a deceit. It's a lie. It is something that demands worship but cannot reciprocate and cannot do anything to you, either good or bad. It is simply a lie. Verse 15, they are delusion, a work of mockery. In their hour of doom, they shall perish. Not like these is the portion of Jacob, for it is he who formed all things, and Israel is his very own tribe. Lord of hosts is his name. So comparing Yehovah to all of these false gods. And the important thing to get over and over again in Jeremiah is what Jeremiah is telling you is how to figure out what's true. And I said at the beginning of the study, truth is so important that Satan goes to great lengths to counterfeit it. And what Jeremiah is telling you is this is how you determine what's true and you separate it from what's false. It's the whole point of this whole exercise. 17. Gather up your bundle from the ground, you who dwell under siege which is to say, you guys in the city that's under siege, pick up your bundle because you're going to Babylon. For thus says the Lord, I will fling away the inhabitants of the land this time. I will harass them so that they cannot feel it. Woe unto me for my hurt. My wound is severe. I thought, this is but a sickness and I must bear it. My tents are ravaged. All my cords are broken. My children have gone forth from me and they are no more. No one is left to stretch out my tents and hang my tent cloths. For the shepherds are dull. They did not seek the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. Hark, a noise, it is coming. A great commotion out of the north, that the towns of Judah may be made a desolation, a haunt of jackals. Who is speaking here is again up for grabs. Could be God. It could be Jeremiah. I don't know. I think it's probably Jeremiah. But the center of this is 21. The shepherds are dull, which is to say the leadership of Israel, the nobility, the priesthood, the Levites, so forth, 
They are dull and they did not seek the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flocks are scattered. The flocks being Israel and Judah. So he's talking about the shepherds and the sense of them being rulers. And because of their infidelity and because their hearts are dull, all that they had has been scattered. 23. I know, O Lord, that man's road is not his to choose, that man as he walks cannot direct his own steps. Chastise me, O Lord, but in measure, not in your wrath, lest you reduce me to naught. Pour out your wrath on the nations who have not heeded you, upon the clans that have not invoked your names, for they have devoured Jacob, have devoured and consumed him, have laid desolate his homesteads. And so this idea of chastise me, but in measure. If you chastise me to the extent that I deserve chastisement, I'm not going to survive. And so I accept and I welcome your discipline, but I'm also asking for mercy. Chapter 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the terms of this covenant and recite them to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And say to them, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who will not obey the terms of this covenant, which I enjoined upon your fathers when I freed them from the land of Egypt, the iron crucible, saying, Obey me and observe them, just as I command you, that you may be my people and I may be your God, in order to fulfill the oath which I swore to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as is now the case. And I responded, Amen, Lord. So God is now restating the covenant. Verse 6, And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these things to the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the terms of this covenant and perform them. For I have repeatedly and persistently warned your fathers from the time I brought them out of Egypt to this day, saying, Obey my commands. But they would not listen or give ear. They all followed the willfulness of their evil hearts, So I have brought upon them all the terms of this covenant because they did not do what I commanded them to do. As they're getting ready to go into exile, what he's doing is he's going back over the court case, if you will. All right, here's the covenant I made. The covenant had some terms. And they're listed in Deuteronomy and they're listed in Leviticus. And what I'm telling you now is you guys didn't listen to me, so I have been executing all of the terms of this covenant. And of course, the last one is going to be exile. 9. The Lord said to me, A conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have returned to the iniquities of their fathers of old who refused to heed my words. They too have followed other gods and served them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant that I made with their fathers. As Ray would say, this is constructive notice. When they're foreclosing on your house, somebody comes up and nails something to the door and said, this is not his house anymore. That's what's being done here. This is, this is a formal legal procedure. Verse 11, Assuredly, thus said the Lord, I am going to bring upon them disaster from which they will not be able to escape. Then they will cry out to me, but I will not listen to them. And the townsmen of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to which they sacrificed, but they will not be able to rescue them from their time of disaster. For your gods have become as many as your towns, O Judah, And you have set up as many altars to shame as there are streets in Jerusalem, altars for sacrifice to Baal. So the first thing they're going to try is they're going to try and calling out to God. God's not going to listen. So then they're going to go try and call out to these idols that they have worshipped. And they are going to discover that the idols are powerless. 14. As for you, do not pray for this people. 
Do not raise a cry of prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me on account of their disaster. Verse 15, why should my beloved be in my house who executes so many vile designs? The sacral flesh will pass away from you for you exult while performing your evil deeds. The Lord named you verdant olive tree, fair with choice fruit, but with a great roaring sound, he has set it on fire and its boughs are broken. This, why should my beloved be in my house? Israel was God's beloved and Israel has fallen to the point where God doesn't even want her in the house and in fact, sets fire to her. The Lord of hosts, who planted you has decreed disaster for you because of the evil wrought by the house of Israel and the house of Judah, who angered me by sacrificing to Baal. The Lord informed me and I knew, then you let me see their deeds, for I was like a docile lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that it was against me they fashioned their plots. Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from among the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. O Lord of hosts, O just judge, who test the thoughts and the mind, let me see your retribution upon them, for I lay my case before you. Who's speaking here? I think it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as a matter of fact, gets thrown in prison. The relationship between the kings of Israel and prophets is kind of an interesting one. Prophets are the ones who speak for God to the government. And one of the things that prophets do is periodically just walk into the presence of a king and jerk him up by the stacking swivel. Kings respond quite often by having them beaten and thrown into prison. So being a prophet was kind of a iffy proposition. If you, went, you got the king's attention and you didn't say it right, you could wind up dead. So anyway, I'm inferring that 18 through 20 is Jeremiah talking to God because the nobility of Israel have thrown him in the jug. 21. Assuredly, thus said the Lord of hosts, concerning the men of Anathoth. Anathoth is where Jeremiah is from. So assuredly, thus said the Lord of hosts, concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, you must not prophesy any more in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Assuredly, thus said the Lord of hosts, I am going to deal with them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their boys and girls shall die by famine. No remnant shall be left of them, for I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth, the year of their doom. So Jeremiah is making all these utterances and people are ticked. You all understand political correctness. If you say something true that violates the current speech codes of politically correct, people get really mad. They don't want to hear the truth. What they want to hear is whatever the politically correct spin is, which is typically a lie. Political correctness is just a way of forcing you to censor yourself and lie. That's all it is. So when Jeremiah is saying all this stuff, they're saying, how dare you? Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.